Hi, this is Pastor Curtis Crawford welcoming you to our podcast. At Revive Outreach Church, we're striving to revive an awareness of Christ in our communities through Christ-centered compassion, service, and evangelism. You can learn more about us online at www.reviveoc.org or on Facebook at facebook.com slash church. We hope that you enjoy this message and God bless. If you want to open up with me in your Bibles to the book of Romans chapter 7, uh, we're going to finish up uh, chapter 7 today. Uh, We're going to be starting with verse 13. Last time that we were together, we made it uh, through verse 12 of chapter 7, and uh, we've learned some uh, very interesting things so far here in the book of Romans, some, some really great theological concepts that all have sinned and justification that... Uh, forgiveness of sin, that being uh, declared righteous before God is dependent upon our faith and, and our faith alone, not works, um, lest anyone should boast, right? Uh, we've, we've learned that about the, the doctrine of sanctification and how that God sanctifies us. He declares you and I holy uh, when we're saved, uh, positional sanctification, but then also you and I uh, progressively, every single day as we walk with Christ and we draw closer to him, uh, we're to become molded in the image of Christ and we are begin to uh, live lives that are holy, that reflect on the outside the internal reality of what God has done for us. And Paul has given us many analogies. He's talked about that, uh, you know, we were once slaves to sin, meaning sin controlled us, had dominion over us. We belong to sin uh, and then, uh, but now uh, we are slaves to Christ and slaves to righteousness, meaning that we were bought with a price by Jesus Christ of Calvary, who paid our debt. So we belong to Him now. Uh, he he we, He owns us. We are His bond servant, right? And we are now slaves to Him. He owns us. And uh, unlike uh, sin as a master, uh, Jesus Christ loves us and cares for us. And he doesn't leave us as slaves but, uh, or mistreat us, but he elevates us to being his children. Right? So we talked about that. Uh, we, we, uh, we talked about uh, when we last looked at Romans chapter 7 that we uh, you know, are freed from the law. Not that the law in and of itself is bad or has done anything wrong or that the, the law is useless. But what it means is, is that uh, we are no longer condemned by the law, right? Uh, so as we've said before, the law, uh, the, the, the law that God gave us and uh, the, the, the moral law that's written upon every person's heart, along with the actual law that God gave Israel, uh, that law uh, is useful, meaningful, and its purpose is to show man how exceedingly woefully short we will always fall. That with, without, you know, without God, we'll never be good enough. We'll never be able to have that proper, restored relationship with him. Uh, and uh, no, no matter how good we try to be, we'll never be able to be good enough, right? And so that's uh, what the purpose of the law is for, is to show us how much we need Jesus. And it's to show us, uh, not, it's to show us of how great God is and what God does for you and I through the death of his son and his resurrection, uh, that you and I no longer are condemned to, to die because of sin, and it's through no means of our own. I mean, we can never be good enough. 
right? Uh, you could start right now and try to be a, 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 you know, walk around with wings and a halo and do everything to the best of your ability. Uh, it would never be enough. Amen. Never be enough to wipe away uh, one sin. The wage of one sin is death. Amen. Right. Uh, so uh, remember, when God looks at sin, He doesn't see them as large stacks. He looks down from the top and He sees sin as sin. Whether you've committed 10 sins, 100 sins, a million sins, he just sees sin as sin, and the punishment's the same for sin, death. Rebelliousness towards God Amen. results in death. And of his great grace and mercy upon us, he gives us that free gift of eternal life. And so as we continue to read here in chapter 7, uh, before we get into verse 13, he used the example of how we're uh, now, um, the example of marriage. He's again trying to make the, this deep theological concept understandable by those who are reading. And so he talks about marriage and he talks about how when you make that covenant, the law of marriage, that a, a wife uh, is bound to her husband, right? Uh, and that uh, if she decides uh, to leave him while he is still alive, uh, she's still bound to him by the law of marriage. Uh, now, if he dies, she's no longer bound to him, right? And she's free to marry whoever she wants to. But as long as he's alive, if, she's la if she leaves him, uh, uh, if, if she leaves him and she gets with another man, she's committing adultery. And if he were to get with another woman, he would be committing adultery because they are bound by the law of marriage. But if he dies, she's free. And what he's saying there is just uh, like I just explained, that you and I die to the law and we are raised in Christ. So therefore the law no longer has sway over us. It no longer condemns us. And we are free to no longer be married to the law. We are free to be married to Christ. And it's what he says that matters now, not what the law says. Right? The law and all of its judgments, they don't matter to us anymore. It's what Christ says about us. I mean, it's just such a great thing when you think about, and none of this we earned. None of this we deserve. All right, so now uh, we're going to uh, start here with verse 13. So if you open up your Bibles to Romans chapter 7, uh, verse 13. The first here we're going to look at is the law cannot save us from sin. Uh, verse 13, has uh, then what is good become death to me? Certainly not. But sin that it might appear sin was producing death in me through what is good so that sin through the commandment might become exceedingly sinful. Uh, right? So he, he's, you remember there's that term, certainly not. If you recall, that's that absolutely how egregious or outrageous this possible argument could be, right? That you would believe. And so he's saying, so, uh, you know, if the law is good, how could it cause death? Is it actually causing death in me? And what Paul is saying is no, the law does not cause death. Spiritual death is a result of sin, not the law. All the law does is point it out. Okay, so the law doesn't, the law doesn't send, the law in and of itself does not send anyone to hell. It just sets up the parameters of what the results of, of being, uh, you know, of what God's righteous standard is. The law is not evil. It is sin that condemns you and I to hell, not, does that make sense? Okay, it's our actions that, that are, make us accountable. 
not the law itself, right? If you, if you break the law in the physical world, if you go out and you, you know, do something that's illegal that results in jail time, the law didn't make you break it, mm-hmm. right? The law didn't put you in jail. Your actions put you in jail. My actions put me in jail, right? Uh, unfortunately, we live in a, in a world today where a lot of people like to blame the law and not their own actions, right, uh, for, for getting into those bad consequences. But the law uh, in the word is not bad. It is our actions that condemn one to spiritual death, sin, not the law. The law just points it out. Law is the standard. Okay, so Paul says no, because remember, his uh, readers, some of them would have been very uh, attuned to the scripture, uh, the the Old Testament and the law. It was Jewish readers. It would have been very important to them. And, uh, you know, they were taught their whole lives by their religious leaders, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, that uh, obedience to the law was paramount to righteousness. Right. And that uh, if you ever wanted to have a chance to be uh, righteous before God, you had to be obedient to the law. Now, that's I find that interesting because God set up the whole sacrificial system because he knew they couldn't be obedient to the law to begin with. Uh, But anyway, they stressed obedience to that law. And uh, so they, you know, the Jewish readers would have been like, now, hold on for a second. Are you saying the law is bad? Are you saying the law is evil through all of this? Uh, and, and Paul's saying, absolutely not. It is not evil. All the law did was show me my sin. Uh, and all the law did was show me that my actions condemn me uh, and uh, condemn me to uh, be separated from God uh, through, um, through, uh, through my sin, to be spiritually dead, right? Uh, and so Paul he was talking about an awareness here of the true, what the true nature of sin is and its deadly character, all right? Uh, So, uh, you know, you and I, until we see the law, until God convicts our hearts, we cannot recognize just how awful sin is, how deadly it is, right? Uh, When I was a kid, uh, Charlie, my little brother and I were in our backfield, and uh, there was a uh, we were out playing and, you know, we were boys sword fighting with sticks. And so he was playing, trying to find another stick in the back of this big field. And the grass was a little bit higher than usual, you know, maybe ankle height. But he saw what he thought was a stick on the ground. Completely harmless stick. He reached down and grabbed a hold of that thing and it started moving. Right? And it was a big brown snake. Now, I never, I don't know if it was poisonous or not, but... You know, he thought that he was picking up something to play with it, right? To, to enjoy, right? Uh, not recognizing how deadly it could have been. Because he's, he's out, we're playing, we're having a good time, right? Uh, we're sword fighting and whatever it was we were doing at the time and playing. Uh, and he did not recognize how deadly that stick could be because in the midst of playing, he was distracted and just reached down and grabbed it. Right. And that's what sin is to us. Right. Is that if we are, uh, 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 don't know Christ as Lord and Savior, it's difficult for us to recognize how deadly sin is, how it could destroy us. Why? Because we want to satisfy our own lusts and desires. Yes. And so I we're gluttoning ourselves on all of this sinful behavior to make ourselves feel good, to fill the void that was meant to be filled by God. We're killing ourselves. We're hurting ourselves, right? Even things that wouldn't be bad for us necessarily, we are abusing them Mm -hmm. and a need to fill a void that's 
only meant to be filled by God and our own selfishness and self-centeredness, and we're destroying ourselves, right? So we are unable uh, to see how destructive sin is. But when the Holy Spirit pricks our hearts and we begin to recognize just how good God is and how evil sin is, and as a result, how evil we are, right? That's what the purpose of this whole thing is. The law, the standard, all of that is to show us, my goodness, sin is bad. And uh, this is how far we fall, we fall short. Right? Verse 14. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am carnal, sold under sin. Now, that's interesting. Now, so uh, Paul says the law is spiritual. What he's saying here is that it is a reflection of God's holy character. Remember, Billy even talked about this last week, right? God is not like you and me, right? God is holy. God is separate from you and I. He's not like anything that you and I can see or know in this world. He, even people, those of us who have a relationship, the greatest theologian that you can name off the top of your head, the greatest preacher, the greatest teacher, still only knows but a fraction of who God is. Right? Because if God was fully understandable by man, he would not be God. Right? Amen. right? Uh, so God is holy and he's set apart and his character. So what the law reveals to us is that it's God's character sent by God, whether stamped upon our hearts or whether given through uh, the law to the, that was given to the Israelites. It is, uh, re reveals God's character in a small way to us to show how holy he is and what his expectations are for you and I to live holy. So the law is spiritual. It reflects God's holy character. But then he says, I am carnal. Literally, that word carnal means flesh. All right? And so what this is saying is that we're earthbound, we're mortal, we're still incarcerated uh, in unredeemed humanness. All right? So Paul is not saying he's still in the flesh, but the flesh is in him. All right? So here's the thing. And I'm going to use this analogy here throughout the rest. I was asking God to kind of show me how I could illustrate this in a manner that would be understandable. So I hope that I, I, I can articulate this in the proper way because I believe that he, he laid this upon my heart. To try to understand our flesh versus the spirit man, because here's the thing. When Adam and Eve fell, everything was touched by sin. Everything. Every animal, every plant, every part of creation was affected and corrupted. Our flesh was corrupted. So along with the spirit man dying and needing to be we being reconciled, restored, born again, and our, and so that we could be reconciled to Christ, our flesh is dying. It's corrupted. Sin, as we talked about last week, or the last time we got together, we talked about Romans, it has a home base in our bodies. It's this, the members, the flesh. We will not be rid of this until we have our glorified bodies. When God replaces this flesh with that perfect body that we were supposed to have that Adam and Eve gave up. Right? When they sinned. So we'll be glorified. Eventually, we will not have this stuff. Which is why there'll be no more tears and there'll be no crying and there'll be no shame and there'll be no guilt. Right? Because we will not be glorified and like we're supposed to have been reconciled perfectly with God and no longer tied to this earth at all and this 
sinful corruption. The Bible says that even the world is crying out to be redeemed. Even creation is saying, I, I, gotta, I, I, I can't take this anymore. We've been corrupted. And that's why, that's why God's going to destroy the earth with fire. Yeah. Uh, read Peter, read Revelation. God actually destroys everything and creates it new for you and I. That's the new Jerusalem, right? Uh, the Bible talks about everything burning with fire. So, right? So our, even God is going to build us a new place that's not this old place when everything is said and done. All right? So we'll have a glorified body. But until then, we have our flesh, our members, which are stuck to us. Okay? Now, I want you to imagine like this. Have you ever been soaking wet in clothes? Just soaking wet uh, in clothes. Uh, and so that's what I want you to imagine that this members are, right? It's being soaking wet and unable to get dry. That your clothing is always wet, right? Uh, so it is always, your clothing is always saturated with sin and you can't take it off. However, your body, you know, your mind, your spirit, all that is, is redeemed. It's not soaking wet. But ultimately, the soaking wet clothes is going to eventually affect that internal peace, right? So for example, uh, if I go out into the cold soaking wet, what's going to happen? I'm going to get hypothermia, right? Uh, if I go into a, a really hostile uh, environment uh, and I'm uh, soaking wet and I stay there for a prolonged amount of time, like, like they did, like, say, in, in Vietnam, right, these locations, what happens? You, uh, you rot sets in, you get, you get sick, right? All these things happen. Now, my mind inside of me knows that I should not be soaking wet. Right? I know I should not be soaking wet, but man, there is nothing I can do to get out of the soaking wetness. However, by an act of my will, as we talked about in Romans chapter 6, if I reckon myself to be holy, and in an act of my will, I present myself as slaves to righteousness, not slaves to sin, even though I'm, I'm wet all the time, I can make decisions so that I am not controlled by how wet I am. So for example... I could decide to not go into the Arctic soaking wet. Stay away from that sin. Because that's bad for me. If I do that, it's going to kill me. And I could decide, present myself to say, I'm not going to go into an environment that exacerbates this condition I have so that I get rotted. I get hurt. I experience, right? So even though I'm stuck in it, I, in my mind, have the ability to make the right decisions, right? But what happens is, is that I see other people out in the snow having a snowball fight and having so much fun. They're sledding, they're building snowmen, and you think for yourself for a minute, well, I could go out there just for a little bit, right? I'll go out just for a little bit, uh, and I'll be okay, uh, and then we go outside and we throw a few snowballs, not realizing how cold it really is until our clothes are frozen and our teeth are chattering and we have frostbite, right? Well, now it's not the clothes that made us go out there and do that. Clothes that make us go out in the winter and play in snow. We knew that was bad for us. We could have stayed inside 
had food and a nice hot fire and fed, been feeding, you, you know, not, and them clothes had nothing to do with that. That was me deciding that what was outside was better than what I had on the inside. And that's really what sin is, right? Deciding that what is outside of me and God, I want more than that that God provides me. Okay? And so, uh, you know, if I, I have everything I need inside. Heat, warmth, food, clothing, comfort, companionship. But man, I want to go outside and play in that snow. That looks so much fun. So your clothes in and of themselves are not, they're, they're, we're, we, they're there and they impact us, but we have to make a conscious decision, present ourselves as slaves to righteousness and not make bad decisions. But sometimes, unfortunately, we make bad decisions because we are tempted by sin. And the water, those wa- waterlogged clothes affect us. They don't control us, but they do affect us. Does that make sense at all? And so that's what Paul is going to start telling us here. All right, that we're, we're, he's sold under sin, meaning, not, not, uh, um, meaning that uh, we belong, uh, that sin uh, belongs us and controls the whole man, but that he st- it still holds our members captive, just like those wet clothes covering your body, right? They hold us captive, and they will control us if we let it. But we don't have to let it. We can be satisfied with what God has given us, the freedom, the grace, the mercy, the blessings, the abundant life that God has given us, and not try to seek that outside. When we start seeking that outside, that's when the flesh rears its ugly head and impacts us and hurts us. Does that make sense? All right, let's look at verse 15. For what I am doing, I do not understand. For what I will to do, that I do not practice. But what I hate, that I do. If then I do what I will not will not to do, I agree with the law that it is good. So what he's saying here very plainly is because of this flesh that I am constantly in, I am struggling with sin. Now this is the great apostle Paul, right? He carried the gospel, every, you know, into all the into the Gentile world, you and I are here today, uh, part of, uh, because Paul and his ministry eventually took the gospel into the West. All of those people he impacted, right? Uh, the spreading the gospel of Jesus Christ. Paul, huge uh, father of the faith, leader in the faith. He struggled with sin. Right? And here he is. He's saying, I do not understand for what I will to do that I do not practice, but, I, uh, but, I, but what I hate, I do. He's saying, I too make mistakes. I too know what is good for me. God's revealed it. I've accepted Christ as Lord and Savior. I know right from wrong. I know what the law says. My eyes are open to, uh, to the law, to God's standard. Right? But my goodness, sometimes I just want to go and get out there and have some fun. In terms of, I want to satisfy that selfish need inside of me, outside of my relationship with God. I mean, isn't, that's really, look, if you don't take anything else, that's pretty good, by the way, and just so you know. Um, satisfying that need outside of relationship with God is when we let the flesh win. Yes. 
So the flesh grates on us, grates on us, tells us we need this, we need this, we need this, we need this, we need this. And eventually we don't really need it, but God's not giving it. So we go to get it ourselves. Right? So he says, I, I, and he says, and I, I, I know that it's wrong. Right? But I do what I hate to do. So I know, I know what is right and what is wrong, but still sometimes I give in and I do what I know is wrong. Just like in those clothes, you know it's bad to go out and play in the snow and that wet clothing. But you get overwhelmed for a moment. You know it's wrong on the inside. You know what's going to happen, but you get overwhelmed and think, boy, that sure looks like fun. I'll be okay. I can make it for just a minute or two. It's boring on this part of the, and staying in the house today. Right? Everybody else is having such a great time. Let me get out there. Right? Even though you have everything you need in the house. Okay? Now, if then I do what I believe not to do, I agree with the law that is good. What Paul is saying here is, is what he's saying here is that if I'm doing stuff, but I know I'm not supposed to, I'm still in agreement with the law in that I still know the law is right. I know right from wrong. Right? So the law is still doing what it's supposed to do. The law is still telling me, uh, you know, not to do this. So I'm still, the law is still good, but I'm just choosing to not serve God. I'm choosing to be disobedient in that moment. All right? Verse 17. But now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. Now this is, this is a good one, right? Because it almost sends, seems like, if you just take that at face value, I don't know about you, maybe it's just me. When I read that verse, I think, well, he's pawning off blame on sin. Right, that is, uh, he's uh, he's pawning off blame, saying, "Well, I can't help myself." Well, that would be in direct contradiction of what he said earlier in chapter six, when he said, "You have a, you can present yourselves to who you're going to obey. You can present yourselves to be slaves to sin, or you can present yourselves to be slaves to righteousness. That is a conscious act of your will. You have control, but the flesh does impact us. It makes it hard. It's not easy." That's why you need a Holy Spirit, and I need a Holy Spirit who lives inside of me. It's not easy. It's hard, right? Um, and so uh, what does he mean here? He says, it's no longer I who do it. Um, so uh, what Paul is saying here is that he is acknowledging his personal guilt for sin. Okay? So he's saying, he's saying that sin is doing it in me, but sin, uh, he's, he's saying, I am giving myself over to sin. All right? So he's, it's like he's making a conscious decision to violate what he knows is the spiritually right to operate in his members, which is sin. I, does that make sense? I know it's about as clear as mud, but, it, but that's what he's saying here is that I know what I'm supposed to be doing, and I'm making a conscious decision not to do the right thing. All right. And it's and he and he's saying, you know, uh, I recognize that, but it's not because I'm evil, it's because of sin. So it's not that I'm not reconciled on my relationship with God, I'm still on my members. I'll never be perfect. Listen, guys, you'll never be perfect. If you want ever anyone, no matter how long they've been a Christian, tell you that they don't sin anymore, they're lying. Right? We're in the body. Jesus said, even if you think about hating your brother, you might as well have murdered him. Mm 
right? Uh, I don't know how pious someone pretends to be on the outside. As long as you're in this body, you will mess up. You will make sin. You, you will make mistakes. You and I will make mistakes. You and I will sin. We will make mistakes. But we don't have to be controlled by it, right? And we need to recognize when we mess up. It's not that God inside of us made us sin. See, that's what he's saying here. Well, God didn't let me do this. I did this. I made a conscious choice to do this, even though I knew better. Okay? And this goes back to what uh, some were talking about. Uh, it's dualism, where people believe that the body and the, and the spirit are so separate that you can sin however you want to in the body, but your spirit uh, is okay. And that's just not true. Your spirit man's not Teflon. Right? Uh, you, you get all dirty up on the outside, you waddle around with pigs, you get mud everywhere. Mm-hmm. Right? <clears throat> so the sin that is in him, it is this, when he says, it's no longer I who do it, it is the sin that dwells in me. It's, the sin is not flowing out of the new person that's in him, but from his flesh. He's saying, I'm making a decision, uh, even though I know what's right and what's wrong, even though I've been redeemed, I'm making a choice to sin. All right, let's look at verse 18. For I know that in me, that is, in my flesh, nothing good dwells. For to will is present with me, but how to perform what is good I do not find. Remember those clothes, those wet clothes. You don't have to be controlled by them. Sometimes, though, you're just overwhelmed by the desire to do something you know is going to hurt you. Go outside and play in the snow. Again, it is that flesh, uh, the flesh, these members, this unredeemed body uh, is like that base camp where sin operates into the Christian's life. It's always there. It's always present. And at every, at all times through the power of the Holy Spirit in us, we need to be shutting the door on it, saying no to it, but it is always there and we will give in. It does happen. All right. All right, let's look at verse 19 through 22. For the good that I will to do, I do not do, but the evil I will not to do, that I practice. Now, if I do what I will not to do, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. For I find then a law that is that evil, I find, I find then a law that evil is present with me, the one who wills to do good. For I delight in the law of God according to the inward man. Again, a long way of saying, yes, he's redeemed. He still struggles with sin. And when he sins, it's not because Christ let him down. It's because he gave in to his members. Right? Christ didn't fall short. Christ's saving work didn't fall short. It didn't cause him to sin. He made a decision due to the influence of his flesh, to sin. That's, that's what he's saying there. He's doing what he knows is wrong, not because Christ's mercy and grace and salvation was insufficient in some way, but because he's, he, he's making a decision in his flesh. He's presenting himself to obey flesh or sin rather than righteousness. It has nothing to do with the work of Christ in us. For I delight in the law of God according to the inward man. He's saying, I honor the law of God. It is the character of God, and I believe the law is right. He's saying, I'm not a hypocrite. I believe 
that God's standard is right. God is holy. His character is holy. He's different. I believe that God is right, but yet I still mess up. So he delights in it. He doesn't hate the law of God because of what it shows him and how false short he, right? Instead, he delights in the law of God as we should delight in the law of God to reveal us just how short we are and that even when we mess up, how great is God that he still forgives us. Amen. Delight, delight in it. Because what it does is it really truly shows if you and I will look at it with an open perspective how great God is. Amen. That if he, he had every right the minute that you and I came to this earth, or he had the right to wipe out Adam and Eve, and we wouldn't even be here because they sinned. But in his mercy, he didn't. You and I are here today able to be reconciled in relationship with God because of God's grace and mercy. Uh, no matter the bad things that are facing you're facing in your life, right? Uh, God is still there. He cares about you. He loves you. And he's still watching out for you. There are many blessings seen and unseen. There are protections seen and unseen. There's provisions seen and unseen. And as we talked about in chapter 5, that God has a purpose in everything. And because he loves you, you know that your pain means something. My pain, my hurt, my trials, they mean something. They are producing something in me. Unlike the world, who it's just suffering and hurt and pain and death and sickness and sorrow... God promises us in Romans chapter 5 that, that for us, that's the believer, it means something. It's producing something good in us, ultimately to make us more in the image of his son, right? And drawing us closer to him, okay? All right, um, verse 23. But I see another law in my members, warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin, which is in my members. So I delight in the law. The law is good. But my goodness, I'm in this flesh and I see those people out there having a great time and I want to have a great time too even though I know it's wrong because the law of sin is essentially this. Do what pleases you. That's the law of sin. Well, you know, take, take care of yourself. Please yourself. Meet your needs. Do whatever is necessary to make you feel good. That's the law of sin. And Paul's saying, my goodness, that law of sin, I look at it, and I'm like, my goodness, yes, this is great, but boy, I'd sure like to have that. Anything that I put above God is wrong. So if I'm compromising, that doesn't mean that I don't, you know, wanting a good job or wanting a home, roof over your head, good food, that's not wrong. What happens is, is when that trumps God, right? So that if I say, because I don't have a four-bedroom house, God isn't good, because I only have a two-bedroom apartment. Well, you still have what you, you still have everything that you need. A roof over your head, clothes in the back, food on your table, right? Okay. That's when it becomes wrong. Okay. Is when I start to question God's goodness. And so uh, I say, all right, uh, I want this car. Nothing inherently wrong for wanting the, uh, right? I, I, I want a, a muscle car someday that I can't afford. What happens is I decide I don't, I'm not going to support, give God and my finances, and I decide that I'm going to start working three jobs and I'm going to neglect my family and I'm stop, going to stop spending time with him and reading my Bible so that I can have that car five years down the road. That's sin. The car's not sinful. Liking the car, wanting it someday isn't sinful. Uh, rebelling against God to get it is sinful. Does that make sense? Okay. Yeah. So it's not wrong to want good things. It's just wrong when we allow that to trump our relationship with God. Because as we said in Romans chapter 5, because sometimes bad things just happen, but God's using that to actually work to our good. 
right? Things happen, but we know that he is growing us, preparing us. We know that he is uh, changing us to be more like Christ. He wants us to have an abundant life, but our definition of abundant life doesn't always match God's definition of abundant life. But here's the thing. The world influences our definition of abundant life. We see it on TV, social media, keep it up with the Joneses of this is what an abundant life is. But I can tell you there are people in other countries that live in grass huts that have more abundant lives than some of us because they've learned to be happy with what God has given them and they're not worried about keeping some worldly standard that, that right, they're happy with what they got. Amen. So they're free. You and I, when we're trying to constantly keep up with everyone around us, we're actually, no matter how much money you have, no matter how big your house is, no matter how, what cars you drive, no matter how great your job is, you're actually being controlled by it and your hope is dependent upon it so that if it was gone tomorrow, you would lose everything. That's why uh, in the 80s when the stock market crashed under Reagan, people were jumping out of buildings. I remember seeing on the news article, even when we had the great stock market crash before, right? Men were, and women were jumping on and killing themselves, Right? Because everything was tied in their fortune and they could not see being able to live beyond having all of those things because that's where their life was tied. They were actually controlled by that. So they didn't have abundant lives. Their lives were dependent upon uh, something that could fade away at any given moment. A fire could destroy. Amen. A change in the markets could destroy. Right? Abundant life is when everything we have is based in God. Right? And that's why there are people with nothing that have a more abundant life than I do. Because I'll tell you, I don't want to give up things. Right? You don't want to, I don't want to lose my job. You know? Um, it's not like I'm sitting there going, Lord, I hope you take that away and grow me. <laughs> Can you grow me some other way? Right? Let's be honest with each other, right? But abundant life is saying, God, you're in control. You know me. You have my best interests at heart. You have a plan for my life. You love me more than I love myself. You know what's best for me more than myself. That's true freedom. That's why it says where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom when the Holy Spirit lives inside of you. True freedom comes from listening to him, listening to God, and truly believing that no matter what happens in this world, God loves you and God has your best interest at heart so that you could be naked on the side of the road and still believe God loves you. And still believe you're having an abundant life. That's true freedom. Nothing when your your happiness and your joy is only tied to God and nothing else. Mm-hmm. But that's hard in our society. Yes. Mm-hmm. Our joy and our happiness is not only tied to material possessions, but it's also tied to our, our family, mm-hmm. our spouses, our children, our grandchildren. Oh, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Who will deliver me from this body of death? I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then with the mind, I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh, the law of sin. What he's saying here is, who's going to set me free from this horrible flesh? The sinful, contaminated, corrupted flesh. Well, someday God is. Someday we'll have a new body. If you think about the wet clothes, someday someone's going to would hand you a nice, say, get all them wet clothes off. Here's a beautiful, nice, dry outfit that you could wear forever that'll never get dirty, never get wet again. Right? You'll never, you'll, you're you're going to love it. You'll never have to deal with that wet, being wet all the time. Same thing. God's going to replace this corrupted flesh with a new body, new flesh. that will never hurt, never hunger, never be in pain, right? Never be sick, uh, never covet. <laughs> right? Never, never have those temptations again. 
When you get to heaven, you won't be worrying about what the mansion down the street looks like. Uh, I know for me, I've heard people talk, listen, uh, from a worldly human perspective, you, talk, you know, there are levels of reward to heaven. Someday I'll preach a sermon on that. But I'm going to tell you, when I get there, I'm not going to care, as, as the psalmist said, I'll be happy to be a street, you know, a, a, a door holder in the house of the Lord, rather than sitting in penthouse in hell. Yeah. Right, so you know, I, I want to serve God. I want to love Him. I want to put those jewels in my crown, as we used to tease my mom about as we were growing up. Uh, but ultimately, heaven's going to be so amazing. We're not going to care what anybody else has, because right. we'll have this body will be replaced with a glorified body that only wants what God wants. That's pretty awesome, right? Amen. That only ever wants what Jesus wants. Amen. All right. And so he says, he, he says, he basically repeats himself. He says, so then with a mind, I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh, the law of sin. He's once again saying, it is not the fault of God or the law that I'm still sin. Right? This, they, they didn't fall short. I'm the one that's falling short because I'm still in this flesh. Okay? I'm still in this flesh. It's, I'm, I'm messing up. Right? I know to do right, and God has put that in me, and the Holy Spirit will help me, uh, but I still mess up. And when I mess up, it's not God's fault. It's my fault. Thank you for listening to this message. We hope that you enjoyed it and were blessed by it. Each month, we have people from all over the world who listen to the messages made available. If you've been blessed by this ministry, would you consider making a donation of any amount to help support us as we continue to reach a loss for Christ? Donations can be made online at www.reviveoc.org or by check at Revive Outreach Church, 411 Chatham Heights Road, Suite 101, Fredericksburg, Virginia, 22405. Thank you for your prayers and your continued support. May God richly bless you.